Hello and welcome to Fertility Springboard, the podcast series brought to you by Fertility Help Hub. I'm Eloise, founder of Fertility Help Hub, and over the series I will be bringing you conversations with some of the most influential and inspiring professionals and experts around the world to arm you with useful and empowering thoughts and resources to ease your fertility journey. And don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to make sure you don't miss out on anything. It's packed full of inspiring interviews, resources, discounts and offers, competitions and real life stories. So I'm welcoming my guest today, who is Laura Rose, founder of the LGBT Mummies Tribe. Welcome, Laura Rose. Thank you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. It's a little bit hot. I know, I know. It really is the thick of summer, isn't it, over here in the UK? Um, So it's lovely to be speaking to you. Um, We are, well, I would love for you to, first of all, tell everyone a bit about you um, and about the LGBT Mummies Tribe, please. We are the LGBT Mummies Tribe. So my wife and I run the organisation and it is to educate, share and celebrate LGBT plus women on their journey to motherhood, whether it be through fertility treatment, um, adoption, co-parenting, being a step-parent, fostering, um, any which way to becoming a mother or a parent, we support women on that journey with knowledge, information, um, support groups and a community and safe haven to share their families and share their journeys. So anything from a pregnancy announcement to a scan, to a gotcha day, we've created a community where everyone can share um, and share their experiences, knowledge and help each other and make friends worldwide. So that's what we do. It's brilliant. What started this? What led you to found it, I guess? Because when we went to have our firstborn, our daughter, about eight years ago, there wasn't, you know, there was no social networking as much as there is today. Um, there was no like same sex families locally that we knew. We knew one woman, um, that was it. Um, but other than that, we didn't know anyone, so we couldn't ask for experiences or you know, there was no social channels that we could search to get reviews on different places. So it was kind of shooting in the dark, to be honest. Um, and as we went through our journey, we um, we kept getting asked by couples or women that wanted to know how we were getting pregnant and what the costs were and what clinic did we use, what sperm bank did we use. But in the end, by the time we had our second child, it becomes so frequent that I was like, there's no central source or point of information for women like us to get this information and advice and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we started the LGBT Mummies Tribe um, as a you know central source of information and support for women like us who wanted to start a family by any which route. So that's why in the end it, um, it came to be. And it was funny, we used to get stopped in, in the street or in the supermarket um, when Stacey was getting stitched up after her C-section, a nurse ran in with a notepad and was like, oh, can I ask you a question? I'm really sorry. And we thought it was about the birth. And she was like, I just wanted to know how you had your baby because my friends are married and they're looking to start a family. And they, I spoke about you and they were really excited and wanted to know if you could tell us. Wow. It was just really surreal. And I was like, if anything screams that there's no support for <laughs> For people like us it's that really so by the time we had Stanley I just thought I'm going to do it I'm going to make a change and make a difference so that no woman goes through what we went through and you know has to muddle through it's not fair 
um, and so that women don't feel that they're on their own, they're supported. So that's why we started. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And do you feel like when you were going through it, was there any kind of stigma attached to it? Did people kind of um, react to it when you told them what you were doing? Not in a negative way, other than obviously at our birth, we had an issue with the doctor being homophobic. But other than that, it was more a case of no one really knew how to take it because they'd never experienced another couple or any women doing what we were doing. So we were the first um, same-sex family that most of our friends knew and our family. They didn't really know. You know, they were excited for us. It was new. It was different. Um, we didn't really experience that. I mean, even through the GP, they kind of fumbled their way through it. They didn't really know what right language to use or where to send us. Or, you know, we had to kind of go it alone. Um, but when, when you came across people, they'd, they'd just be curious more than anything. It wasn't homophobia um, or disdain other than that doctor at the birth. It was more a case of people were just too frightened to ask, but just curious as to how it happened and you know <laughs> what the process was. Yeah, totally. And what, and what about the clinics? Were they helpful in giving you what you needed to start the process? You weren't blessed with luck straight away, were you? It was a very difficult path for you to get to where you've got to now. Yeah, I mean, we were we're incredibly lucky. We used CRGH, um, which is now up in Great Portland Street in London. Um, so we kind of landed on our feet there. We were lucky. They're, they've got the best success rate in the UK. Um, they've been dealing with couples like us for decades. So when we went to them and Stacey had policies to go over is we, were, we, we had been told that she would never have children. Um, and I was intended to carry first. And we sat down with one of the consultants and he did all the tests. And he said, no, you will definitely, we will get you pregnant. Um, and the way they handled us, the, lang the right language was used. Um, they were compassionate. They wanted to get to know us personally. It was a very bespoke service. And to be honest, they helped make it a really stress-free uh, situation, even though, yes, it took us three attempts, didn't work. Before we lost the baby at three months. Um, Stacey miscarried and then we got lucky and had our daughter on the fifth attempt but to be honest for IUI the chances of success are between 10 and 20 percent dependent on clinic so we were really really lucky even though it seemed forever to us there are couples that struggle for years and decades trying to get pregnant so yeah I think we kind of take that into consideration think we're quite lucky even though it was hard at the time Absolutely. Um, and um, we talked a bit about this on the live that we've just done, which people can actually watch back as well as listening to this um, on the Fertility Help Hub website. But um, what was the process like for picking a donor for you both? It's like shopping for a pair of shoes. Mm. The most expensive pair you'll ever get that you'll never take off. That, that is literally how I could summarise it. It was a very bizarre um, shopping experience. And you have to call it a shopping experience because <laughs> that's the way it was. So we sat down, we made a list of attributes. So we wanted a donor that was like both of us. Um, so sporty like my wife, um, musical and into theatre like me and expressive. Um, we wanted someone who was handsome, obviously, but someone that had features that we both found attractive in women. Um, so we went for um, a Hispanic, a Latin American donor with dark hair, dark eyes, um, olive skin, um, and we went for one with a great IQ. He was very family orientated and we looked at the genetic side as well. So the sperm bank we used to give you a really comprehensive list 
of their genetics, their family, immediate and extended, um, even down to how they died, their height, you know, if they had diabetes or anything like that, their eye colour, um, and what they did as jobs. You could kind of get a real feel for a family and what kind of people they were. So it was it was really interesting to kind of whittle it down, and we both kind of landed on the same donors as well. Um, and then by the end of it, there was a choice of two, and because of the CMV status of the donors, to ensure that we could both carry, we needed a specific type, and that was the donor we landed on, and that was our favourite anyway. So we were lucky. It was it was quite a fun but strange experience. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's a bit what we talked about just now. Um, for you both, that was a probably an exciting time um, yeah. and something where you really could think about what you wanted and and um, and what you desired. Whereas um, for me personally, with my husband, it was much more kind of um, not wanting to do it. Uh, we had yeah. to do it, but we didn't really want to do it because it was really painful for him to um, pick someone that he didn't want to be picking because he wanted to obviously be using his own yeah. his and his own genetics. So depending on your scenario picking a donor yeah. is a very different experience of course definitely but isn't it wonderful that there is this option of donor conception out there to build so many families i think it's amazing that these men and women are out there and they are willing to donate a very very precious and personal part of them to help another family or another woman male couple um i think that's a really really precious gift that these men and women are doing and I think you know we can't thank ours enough because we've got two miracle children out of it um, and hopefully in the future maybe a third so we're, we're incredibly lucky it is a, a gift yeah and um, I think well from us speaking just now I think we're in the same scenario that we've we've both picked donors um, who um, our children can contact um, mm. if they want to um, in the future when they're 18 um, and I guess again that's it's a strange feeling isn't it because as, as a parent you know that they might want to in the future but at the same time you kind of hope that they won't feel the need to but it's also nice to have given them well it's it's totally personal choice but to have given them that opportunity so that they can make up their mind. Of course um, I totally agree for us we feel that if it gets to that stage and they want to find out who he is um, and contact him. They can contact him. However, you know, for us, we love our children, they're ours. You know, it would be hard for us and difficult. However, it's their journey as well. So we will always be honest with them from the get-go. And when it comes to that stage, if they don't want to, then hooray <laughs> that's great for us and um, we're still our family but if they feel the need they want to reach out and know a bit more about their genetic history and who he is that's their decision and it might hurt us and be painful but it's not just about us so it's yeah. their decision and that's the right thing to do. yeah exactly in terms of what you set up and this amazing community and support network uh what are, what are the kind of not common but stories that you've heard from people in the community and why do people come to you it's you get a lot of people, um, women and parents coming to us because they don't know any other families like them. So especially, you know, for example, in the UK, um, you will have lots of different families from all over the UK following, but none of them live near each other. So when we do our UK meet, we have people coming from up in Scotland or Birmingham or Leeds or down from Devon, you know, people come in from all over the country 
because they don't know anyone else it's very disparate so people are all over the place there's no real hub of oh actually in this town there's loads of us so it is really difficult to meet other families so your children might be at school and not know any other children with two mums or a mum um, that are LGBT plus um, so it is difficult to meet so for us it's the community I think women like the sense of community and that they belong um, but also if they're trying to start a family they've got so many other families to talk to so they get support from us privately or across the support groups but they also have other women that they can follow and they can get excited about their journeys follow their pregnancies or adoptions or if they're both adopted they can say you know can we can we speak and really want your advice on this we're at this point with panel it's creating a community and safe haven where those women feel empowered that they can ask those questions and go yeah that's that's exactly what I needed to know thank you so it's really important and crucial that there's this space for women like us to support each other definitely definitely and what what's next for the LGBT mummies tribe so we're in the process of having our website designed which should be live in the next month um or so at latest I specifically am really passionate about um equality for families like us so I've done some work with NHS Improvement England. Um, I'm speaking with Health Education England and I've met with the Government Equalities Office. So the main areas that I've been speaking to them about are areas that we feel from our experience, but also from a lot of the women we look after and support, areas within the health system that need further support so whether it be through the GP um, specifically as well through pregnancy birth and midwifery and health visitors um, there's lots of different areas of improvement that we've put forward to the NHS um, college midwives etc around data collection support for our families support for you know pre through pregnancy and birth um, education and training around mid midwifery um, but also supporting those health professionals as well because if they're not educated or trained in up-to-date in how to look after us and what the use of language is and the different types of families and the different types of treatments there are and the different types of routes there are to families if these professionals don't know that information they can't support us in the right way but also they're not being supported in their role so for me it's really really crucial that we work with these organisations and governing bodies to ensure that we're supported but also the staff are as well because as an example if you're in an appointment with a midwife and she doesn't feel comfortable enough asking you know if she says who's mum oh we're both mum and she doesn't know for example when we went to a midwife appointment they didn't know what IUI was they knew what IVF was but they were limited in their understanding they didn't know what IUI was for me, that's quite an important and crucial aspect of their role that they've not been provided with through the education and training. So if they're not up to speed on that and if they don't feel comfortable to even ask the question, the support and the engagement breaks down. So in that 30 seconds of that relationship forming with your midwife, which is a very precious one, I think, through pregnancy and birth, there's a breakdown of communication because they're not educated in what they should know and ask and then we're on the other side and we feel under supported and that we don't want to respond because we don't feel that they know obviously what they're doing because they haven't been supported so for us it's really really crucial work that we continue to push on 
um, to get these changes made. And it's just a case that with our community, we're growing so quickly and more families and more women are having children that now policies that were made 10, 20, 30 years ago are out of date. So now they need to be refreshed, they need to be updated and they're being really responsive and they understand that and they want to help and they want support, which is amazing. So speaking to these people and knowing that they've, you know, they're giving us their full support and they want us to help them and educate them and help them learn is is amazing really because it just means the improvement in services that we get like in this country sorry I'm gas <laughs> no that's brilliant it's really interesting to hear and and actually to that point about um legalities and I guess what the government say um are there outdated legislations like there are with surrogacy I mean how does it work with the with the birth certificate not in regards to that because surrogacy it is a minefield when it comes to that and we work with um two dads uk who do a lot of work on surrogacy yeah um and there is a lot of legislative areas that are just very gray which they're doing a hell of a lot of work on um for us it's more a case of around um the education and understanding across all health professionals basic level of knowing the different types of treatment um different family makeup so there are families that co-parent when you say co-parent to people they assume a couple that are divorced and that co-parent a child it's not always the case co-parenting can be um a woman or two women that are in a relationship that decide to have a child with another man and his husband or a man on his own and they co-parent the child through that relationship and that's their relationship with the children if those staff members and professionals had an understanding of all these different types of families that we have within our community they'd be able to help more and they'd feel empowered in their role and get job satisfaction. So for us, it's more a case of an education and training piece um, and updating um, data collection within the NHS software. So there's a lot of different areas. Um, and one of the really weird um, things to come out of it is that, you know, if we take one of our children for an appointment at the GP and we both go, oh, who's mum? We both are. Oh, okay. And you get a look. Uh, hold on and then they go through the notes but there's nothing there because with the NHS they don't data collect what your sexual orientation is which is really we feel is really crucial because we feel that there should be an area that says that one of our children like on our children's notes um child born by IUI to this parent the other parent is a non-biological parent on the birth certificate um genetic history available via donor if there was that tiny little paragraph on the children's NHS notes, it would mean that the doctor would read it, you'd walk in, he'd go, oh, okay, so what's wrong with her ear or his throat? The awkwardness is gone, the doctor doesn't feel uncomfortable, you don't feel uncomfortable, and you don't have to keep coming out. Um, and the awkward situation is that, for example, our daughter is six, to be in a situation where they say, oh, who's mum? And we say, oh, well, no, Stacey's birth mum. Um, and then he says, oh, but what about the dad? And then you get that kind of, no, there's no dad. And then you have to come out of that appointment and be, t- be asked, but I don't have a dad. Why did the doctor ask if I have a dad? Do I have a dad? That's a situation that we feel is really crucial, that families are not put under that pressure um, of having not only to come out in an awkward way at an appointment, but also to have to do it in front of your child and basically have your child put in a position whereby they are questioning their makeup and their family makeup that's a family's responsibility and it's very precious to a family 
So you don't really want to be in that position whereby you're having to explain to your six-year-old in a car park how they were made because the doctor asked where where the dad was or about the dad's genetics. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. There needs to be so much more sensitivity around it, doesn't there? Mm. That could have a really lasting effect on children and, exactly. and, you, and on you as parents as well. Exactly. And I know that you were saying in the live that you feel that um, there aren't always necessarily, um, and, and I know actually speaking for speaking to Millie who wrote an article um, about social infertility, um, mm. not choosing to be gay and, and the sort of the impact that has had on her and her wife's fertility where people, I think she got turned away by a clinic, which is awful. Um, yeah. The fact that they were trying to conceive um, and uh, as, as a lesbian couple. And she also said in her article that growing up, there weren't really any role models, um, lesbian role models around. Um, and you said that, you know, there is stuff that's going on during Gay Pride, but it doesn't necessarily get the voice that's needed at other times of the year as well. No. No, I mean, there are obviously more people in the public eye, um, for example, Heather Peace or Casey Stoney, um, but there aren't that many or Jen Brister, there aren't really that many female or male family role models um, that are about, that people can look up to and go, wow, look, they've created their family. Like, I want to be just like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important to create that visibility of so many normal families like us, not just in the public eye um, that are famous, but, you know, role models that you meet every day. I speak to some women that are just absolute warriors and that have gone through hell to have their families. as any any family um you know that have gone through treatment or started the journey to become a parent but the women that i speak to on a daily basis are trojans they're just amazing um so there are so many role models and that's what i love about the page because example on our social channels sharing you know people's celebratory posts when you know they they message you and they're excited and they're like you know we've been in the ttc group um for a while now and now we're pregnant and you know, we got a really lovely message the other week from a couple that we've been speaking to privately and giving advice and they got pregnant. And she said, if it wasn't for you, uh, this wouldn't have happened if we didn't take the advice and push forward with the clinic as you told us to on the decisions we needed to make, uh, we wouldn't be pregnant by now. And for me, that is just the best feeling, knowing that you've really, really helped affect someone's life and changed it. For me, that's, that's the whole point of what we do. Totally. Totally. Well, it's absolutely brilliant what you set up um, and you should be proud. So thank you so much for sharing it with everyone today. No problem. Thank you. Look forward to following what you get up to. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thanks a lot, Laura Rose. Bye. Bye.